I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Are we not blessed with one of the best praise bands in our conference? I, you know, I feel like I could just listen to them the whole time. You don't, you don't need a sermon from me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's, let's turn to God in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, like so many scriptures that we read on Sunday morning, this is a very familiar one. Many of us can probably quote at least one or two of the verses by heart. That's always a danger because we, we assume we know what it means. So we need your spirit to speak to ours in a new way, to give us maybe some new insight. We pray that you won't let the preacher get in the way of what you need to say to us. Open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. You know, it, it's hard to believe, but no less than five chapters out of the 21 chapters in the book or gospel of John um, are devoted to one particular discourse of Jesus, words of Jesus that are kind of spoken almost kind of in a, in a line. It's, uh, scholars have kind of uh, called this o over the years the farewell discourse. It's, it's the last words of Jesus. They begin in the upper room as Jesus gathers his disciples for the Last Supper. And, and that discourse, that conversation that Jesus has with his disciples continues until they reach the Garden of Gethsemane, where, of course, Jesus is ultimately arrested, tried, convicted, and executed on the cross. Um, it is... This setting is really important where it begins because where it begins in the upper room is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now, remember, it's called the farewell discourse because these are the last words that he's going to speak to them before, before he's taken away to be crucified. And um, so what he says is really important. And, and when he washes their feet, he, he, he says, do you know why I've done this? I've done this to give you an, an example. It's also in that upper room where he 
tells his disciples that he's going to be betrayed. And in fact, he actually turns to Judas and sends him on his way to to do his dirty deed. It is in that setting that he tells Peter that he's going to deny him no less than three times before the sun rises in the morning. It is in that setting that he commands his disciples. He doesn't ask them. He commands them to love, to love. And he realizes that it's going to be a difficult time for them when he's ultimately taken away from them. And so he promises to send them the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the the advocate that will be alongside them to assist them through those difficult days and years ahead. And after he has this sort of conversation in the, in the upper room, they sing a few hymns, and then he continues the discourse as he leads them out of the room uh, going toward the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, the distance between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, you, we'll have a slide here, I think. Oh, let me say, going back to that other one, John 14, verse 31, is where he says, rise, let us, let us be going. He's, he's saying, come on now, I've got somewhere to go. He's already kind of set the stage what's going to happen. Now he says, rise, let us be on our way. And then he makes his way toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this slide, the next slide, shows that distance between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane is not, it's only a few hundred yards. It's not, it's not very far as the crow flies. They have to, they leave the upper room and they have to go past the temple. And they've got to cross the Kidron Valley and finally make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, you might say, well, that, that won't take much time at all, and, and it wouldn't if you could just go straight there. The problem is the Kidron Valley. Now, if you go there today, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of the hill that goes down from the Temple Mount uh, where the temple once stood. Um, that hill, it's steep, but it's not, you know, most of us could probably make it down in the valley and go across the valley floor and then come up on the other side on the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane is. The problem is in the time of Jesus... That valley was much deeper because, you know, over the years there, there were many battles. And uh, over those years, the rubble from those battles would end up in the valley floor. And so the valley floor is actually higher today than it was at the time of Jesus. And so it was a much steeper ravine in the time of Jesus. So they could not go simply from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane just straight as the crow flies. But they had to go around the Kidron Valley. They had to go around it. And so it would take a lot longer. Now, what I, the next slide will show you that the Temple Mount is really, you could almost, a really good quarterback could probably, well, have to be, I don't know, probably a, a really good quarterback, but I think could possibly throw, <laughs> maybe a baseball player could throw a baseball from the Garden of Gethsemane to the Temple Mount. Uh, it's not, you know, it's that close. And, and you know, you remember the story how Jesus, uh, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he begins to sweat blood. I mean, and, you, and he struggles with, you know, he, he tells his father to take this cup from me if it be your will, you know. And you can, all, you can almost imagine why, because 
the soldiers that came that night, they couldn't come straight across the valley. They had to go around the Kidron Valley. And so you can see, he could look across there and he could see them coming. He could see them with the torches, one by one, step after step, coming all the way around that valley. So he had plenty of time to contemplate what they were about to do and what he might be able to do if he wanted to escape. So the... You know, the distances here are not very great, but it takes time to get from across the, the valley around to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so when he continues his discourse and when he starts talking about the vine, you can almost imagine that in that journey around the valley, maybe, just maybe, he passes by some grape vines. Maybe he passes a, a grape vineyard and, and he sees the, the vines and the branches and he sees the grapes hanging off the luscious branches. May, maybe, just maybe. And maybe because of that, it, it causes him to kind of, hey, I've got a teachable moment here. I, you know, he uses what's available to him. And, and, and he says, let me, look, you see that? Let me, let me tell you something. He says, I am the true vine. I'm, see that vine there? Do you see how it, it grows out of the earth and how it connects to the branches? I, I'm like that. I'm, I'm the true vine, not just any old vine. I'm the true vine. In other words, from me comes your life source. You know, without me, you, you're, you're going to be nowhere, you know? I, I come from the earth that God has created, and, and I give you life. I am the true vine. He goes on to say, my father is the vine grower. This, this whole vineyard out here, there, there's somebody in charge. It's the one who created us all. And this, this creator God is in charge of the vineyard. Not you, not, not the branches, but the one who cares for the vineyard. That's the one who's in charge. And then you, you can see him looking into their eyes and their faces and saying, but, but you're part of this, you see. You're the branches. You're, you're the part of that plant that, that allows the fruit to be growing and, you know, to provide this product that's uh, such a wonderful, succulent fruit. You're the branches. You're not the whole plant now. You're, you're part of this, this plant but you're a very important part of it. And he goes on to say there, there's a purpose to you, to this plant, to the branches, to the, to the vine and the branches and the whole plant. There's a purpose to this, as if to say the whole vineyard has a purpose. He says, those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. If, if you stay connected, if all the parts do their part, then the ultimate purpose is to bear much fruit. Our connection, you see, with the vine and our submission to the vine grower ultimately allows us to fulfill our purpose, and that is to produce fruit. Jesus, in so many words, is saying, stay, stay connected. Now, think about this. He's just told them he's going to be betrayed, and he's just told them that, that, that you know, that they, they are, they're called upon to love. And as he's going around the valley, he's, he's very much aware that it's going to be hard for them to do that. 
because they're going to want to run. They're going to want, like Peter, deny that they even know him. He knows that when he's finally taken away and put in that tomb, that they're going to be so scared they're going to hide behind locked doors. And, and so he's, what he's encouraging them to do is to stay connected, not to lose, lose contact. He then tells them how best to fulfill their purpose, to bear fruit. Number one, he says, he, and he's referring to the vine grower now, God, removes every branch that bears no fruit. That's in verse 2 of our lesson today. He removes every branch that bears no fruit. Now, the, the word that's translated removes is iro, iro. And um, we often think of it as how it's translated, removes, like get rid of, throw away, cast away. And maybe we think of it that way, not, not only because it says removes, but maybe if we grew up with the King James Version, the translation is, he taketh away every branch that bears no fruit. In the, even, even the more recent Revised Standard Version, he takes away those branches that bear no fruit. And so, you know, I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking, he, he, threw, away, he, he threw away those branches that don't do any good. But that's not what the word means. What the word means is to lift up. To remove, for sure, but to remove from the ground, to lift up. Like, remember the story of the paralytic that uh, couldn't, couldn't move? And Jesus wanted to know what he wanted, and, you know, he said, well, he wanted to walk again, and, and, and he started making all these excuses. But, uh, you know, the, he's, he was by the pool, and, you know, every time I try to get there, other people crowd in, and, and, and then the, the water that's stirred up by the angels, it's, you know, it, it's gone away when I'm able to make my way there. I, and Jesus, you know what he says to him? He says, take up your mat and walk. Take up. He uses the word iro, you know, pick up, lift up, lift it up off the ground and walk. When Jesus asked his disciples to feed the crowd of 5,000 or more people that are out there. Remember, and they brought five loaves and two fish. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, blessed it, gave it back to them, and then told them to spread it among the people. And they spread it out there, and everybody ate, everybody. They were filled to the brim. And what happened after that? They took up 12 baskets that were left over. What word did the gospel writers use Iro. They lift it up. They didn't throw away <laughs> the leftovers, just like the paralytic didn't throw away his mat, but they lifted it up. They lifted up these baskets of leftover loaves and fish. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples that were out there fishing and he wanted them to lift up their nets, you know, raise up the nets, draw them up. He uses the word Iro, lift them up. And when Jesus took his cross and made his way to Golgotha, he took up his cross. And what word was used? Iro. So you see, what, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that the vine grower lifts up 
removes from the ground every branch that bears no fruit, because if the branch remains on the ground, it will eventually die. It needs to be lifted up. That's why you can go to vineyards all around Charlottesville, and you'll see them all, the vines. You'll see the, you know, the vine that comes up, and then you'll see all the, all the branches that are up on, the, on these wires that go across the field in the vineyard. God is not cutting off branches, but God is lifting up branches that have fallen. God wants to pick us up when we fail, when we fall on our face, when we feel so depressed, when we feel like life has no meaning, when we are at our lowest point, God wants to lift us up so that we can bear fruit. The second thing that Jesus says to his disciples is that every branch that bears fruit, in other words, some fruit, those branches that are doing a little bit, maybe not a lot, but they're doing a little bit, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a gardener. You know, all I have to do is look at a plant and it'll die. (laughs) I got a brown thumb. So I don't know a lot about planting and that kind of thing. So when I hear the word prune, what I think of whenever I see somebody pruning a tree or a plant, I see cutting, cutting off, you know. And my natural assumption is, well, you know, you cut off those dead branches, cut off the things that aren't working right, you know. And, you know, it's like cut off those dead leaves. If the fruit is rotten on the vine, cut it off, you know. That's what I, I think of pruning in that way, but that's not real pruning. Real pruning is cutting off good branches. (laughs) Cutting off good branches. Years ago, uh, when I was working in the advocate office, um, we were like a block or so from United Methodist Family Services. They had a big campus. And uh, they had crepe myrtles that grew all the way around the edges of their property. And every year, these crepe myrtles would come out. They were beautiful. I mean, beautiful plants. And every year I'd see them go out there and prune those things and they would cut those things down and I thought they were dead. And I thought, what are they doing? They're cutting these things down. I mean, there were nothing but these stumps almost. And I thought, what what are you doing? You're killing these things so you can pull them up easier? You get trying to get rid of them? And every year those cut back crepe myrtles would blossom like just amazing, amazing. Someone told me this morning that uh, what you do, crepe myrtles, and, and maybe Fred, you probably know this better than I, but uh, crepe myrtles, they knew, you know, the blossoms only come out of uh, new growth. So, in other words, if you just kind of leave it and don't do anything, eventually it'll stop blooming. I don't know. But, but the point is, that pruning is cutting off good branches, not bad. Roses, anybody, anybody here grow roses? My understanding is there, there's a certain place where you cut off, you know, the branches so that the remaining ones will, will produce even larger and more beautiful roses. So you're cutting off good, perfectly good branches. You're cutting them off so that what remains will grow even more. Uh, I have a, my brother is a forester. And, and he often will <laughs> come to our house and go, you need to cut that. And, you know, uh, but the point is you, you cut off good branches so that the remaining part of the plant really can prosper. Sometimes 
you and I have to learn to say no to some perfectly good things that we are doing so that our yeses are more fruitful. Did you hear that? Sometimes, and I have to learn this lesson as much as anybody, that maybe we're involved in a lot of things and everything that we're involved in is absolutely wonderful and good. But sometimes we have to cut some of those off from our lives and say no so that our yeses become more fruitful. When we try to do everything, we do nothing very well. And that is true for us as individuals and as a church. Finally, Jesus says to his disciples, those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Those who abide, those who are connected with me will bear much fruit. Not a little bit of fruit, but a whole lot of fruit, much fruit. Now, God doesn't want us to bear just a little bit. God doesn't want us to just, you know, one little apple or one little grape. But God wants us to, to be fruitful and, and to our lives to be abundant. To do that, we need to abide in God. In other words, stay connected to God. Now, the word translated abide literally means remain. It comes from the Greek word meno. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he calls on his disciples to stay awake with him, he says, remain with me and pray. And he uses the word meno, remain with me, stay with me. That's what abide means, stay with me. When Jesus goes to the town of Jericho and and, uh, the chief tax collector Zacchaeus climbs up in that tree, the little man that couldn't see over the crowd, and Zacchaeus looks down to Jesus in the middle of the crowd. Jesus looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, I must stay in your house today. Come down. I must stay in your house. And the word that he uses is minnow. I need to remain in your house. I need to be connected with you. I need to be in your house and I need to stay there. When Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth when she's pregnant with Jesus, the scriptures tell us that she remained with Elizabeth for three months. She remained, she stayed, and the word that's used is minnow. And when the two that were on their way home to Emmaus on that first Easter afternoon, They had heard all the stories of the women, but they didn't believe it. And they thought Jesus was gone and they would no longer see him. And all of a sudden, this stranger starts walking with them and opening the scriptures to them. And and when they finally get to their house, they call on him to stay with them in their house. Stay with us, they say. And when Jesus goes into the house, the one who was once a stranger becomes revealed to them in the breaking of the bread. And of course, when they say stay with us, they use the word minnow. Jesus wants us to stay with him, to stay connected with God. And that's how we will bear much fruit. So how do we, in fact, bear fruit for God, not just for ourselves? How do we do that for God? Number one, we allow God to lift us up. We allow God to to support us, encourage us. It's very tempting for us to try to go it alone, to think that we've got all the resources we need. We don't need God. We don't need one another. But God is telling us that 
that we need to be lifted up. We, there are going to be times where we're going to hit rock bottom and we need to be able to lean on one another. We do that with our prayer quilt ministry. We do that with prayer prayer groups, prayer chains. We do that as we share with one another in various settings. Number two, we need to allow God to prune us. And the only way you can do that is to ask God to to help us see what needs to be cut from our lives. What, How do we focus ourselves? What, where are the places where we spend our energy and our money and our time? And where do we need to kind of let them go so that we can emphasize something else? That's hard to do. It's very hard to do because everything that's out there is worthy. And finally, we need to abide in God's love. The verse that comes after the scripture lesson today, verse 9 says, as, God, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is saying to his disciples that if you really want to abide in me, you need to abide in my love. Just as I have loved you, so you need to love others. In other words, love needs to be a priority in our lives. Paul said, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. I'm convinced if we do these things, these three little things, if we do them well, then God will see that we bear much fruit. Now, I'm going to ask, I don't, Priscilla, I think maybe you can get some people to help you. I've, I've got a sheet that I want to hand out to you. I've been here nine years, and I've never given you homework. Well, I'm going to give you homework now. There are just four questions that I'd like to invite you to answer for yourself. Uh, it's one of those uh, homework assignments where no one's going to check up on you. It's really up to you if you want to do it. The questions are simple. One is, what, what fruit is my life currently producing for the benefit of God? In other words, just ask yourself, do, do some self-discernment here. Is there any kind of fruit in my life? And what, what, what fruit is currently producing a benefit to God? And then number two, what needs to be lifted up in my life so I can be a more effective branch on God's grapevine? What, where have I fallen short that I need, need to be lifted up? Where am I hurting? Where am I, where am I grappling with my limitations? Number three, what do I need to cut back in my life so I can grow closer to God? My life is full of many, many opportunities. I'm going to have to face this after retirement. Where, where does God want me to place my emphasis? And finally, what do I need to do in my life to be more intentional about abiding in God's love? How, how can I be more intentional about loving and being open to God's love in my heart and in what I say and do? That's your homework. Let us turn to God in prayer. Lord, forgive us for thinking that we really don't have a purpose. Remind us that you have planted us in this world, in our place, in our time, to be fruitful for you. Help us, Lord, to stay connected with you, to abide in you, so that we might bear fruit for you. Amen. Amen.